if the SEC is going to deny here, it would be the SEC kind of going nuclear. The judges basically threw out every decision and reasoning they've used to deny ETFs in the past. They're coming up to a point where they can no longer delay. They have to either approve or deny, and that's why we think it's going to happen. get this show on the road, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Joining us on the other side of the mic is Bloomberg Intelligence ETF research analyst, James Seifert. Sir, thanks so much for coming on. This is uh, your return to the show. Last time you were on, we were still in the wake of BlackRock's surprise spot Bitcoin ETF filing. Um, we've seen a number of additional filings from all types of asset managers, ranging from the behemoths like BlackRock and then Fidelity as well. And then, of course, a lot of the crypto native players have thrown new applications in the ring from Bitwise to uh, uh, Galaxy. And we've seen some Ether ETFs hit the market as well. So there's a lot to catch up on. Obviously, this is sort of this is what's driving much of the market these past few quarters. Just the excitement, the anticipation around an ETF, what it means for the market. But let's just start right with the with the big enchilada, as it were, which is the Bitcoin spot Bitcoin ETF filing. Let's start with your prediction, right? Because this is what you and your colleagues are sort of famous for. Are, sort of have made you the darling of crypto Twitter over the past year, let's say. You you have been, I've seen, uh, referred to as the market savior. Um, <laughs> so sort of, you've been exalted as a Christ-like figure in crypto. Um, where do we stand, James? What's the sort of prediction for the next year? Are we going to see an ETF come to market? And what's the, where, where, does, where does Bloomberg sort of have those odds pegged? Yeah, so thanks for having me back, Frank. Happy to be here. Um, I believe when I was last on with you, we, we were saying we were pretty, we were fairly bullish on the case that we could see one of these things. And obviously, we've gotten more and more confident in those calls. Um, in early October, we went to 90% odds of approval by the January 10th deadline, which is ARC and 21 shares um, filed for the spot Bitcoin ETF. There, basically, the SEC has all these. Uh, periods where they can, or deadlines where they can delay, deny, or approve almost always. And in, in history for the last decade plus, they've delayed every time they got the chance. They're coming up to a point where they can no longer delay. They have to either approve or deny. And that's where we, why we think it's going to happen. So um, yeah, we've been pretty confident in that take. We've seen more and more things that aren't necessarily changing our odds, but just confirming our prior convictions and our prior views and just steps in the process that would need to happen no matter what in order to see these things approved in, in early January. So right now that window is probably January 8th to January 10th where we could see it happen. So it's a three day window where we could see these approvals and it would be uh, an en masse approval. It would probably be for, for everyone and basically says, okay, if you're ready to go, you can go. We're gonna approve you here. Um, whether or not all of them will be ready to go, have all their the, the plumbing and pipes tied up on the back end, uh, that's a different discussion, but we, we do think it's gonna happen and obviously if I'm wrong, those same people that you were saying were, were, were calling me a savior, I'll have to eat a lot of. <laughs> I'll have to. They're going to be they're going to be showing up to your house with pitchforks and torches. 
the one thing I will say was when we were when I was when I was first on in the summer and since we've talked like I when we were making those calls we were way out of consensus mm-hmm. um, and for the most part we have become the consensus at this point so um, yeah there's everyone else won't have to be <laughs> I've gotten known for for that call so is so is Beltunas so um, it'll be fun to see how it plays out but ho- we're obviously hoping that uh, our call turns out to be correct. Well, I'm curious to to hear what you guys were seeing that maybe others weren't paying attention to. But I guess before we maybe wax poetic on on some of the minutia of it, can you can you break down for the listeners um, these timelines? Right. So it sounds like um, all of them with, are within the same three day window, and there's either it, it's super. It sounds super binary, right? Either all of them that you see in the docket are approved or all of them are disapproved or is, are there different timelines for certain filings? Yeah. So technically they all have different timelines. The only one that has a final deadline is ARC and ARC and 21 shares, their application, they filed in April. Um, They were long before anyone. BlackRock was the next one to file in June when everything started heating up about the possible approvals, but ARC and 21 shares were already basically through the first few steps of this process. That said, um, our view and what they did with the Ethereum futures ETFs, what they've since have we've been saying for a long time now they're going to do is they're going to line everyone up because they don't want to be basically kingmakers. They don't want to be picking favorites here uh, to win these races, whether it's uh, getting the most assets or acquiring the most liquidity. So if the SEC is going to approve all these things, they're likely going to approve them all at once uh, because, again, they don't want to play kingmaker in this case. Now, there's like you can argue that sets a weird precedent where like usually if you file first and the SEC approves, you get to go out first. I think this is a unique situation. I mean, they've been denying these things for a decade. It's not like this was like completely new and out of the blue. Um, but it, it's very interesting to see what will happen. And obviously we think it will be approved, but there's a, we do have that 10% odds out there. And I, I can go into a little more nuance about like why we've gotten more and more confident, but, um, I'll let you dictate. Definitely. I want to get there in just a second. I have one other question. So basically what you're saying, right, is that the SEC doesn't want to doesn't want to sort of be the kingmaker here and pick one winner to go first or rather pick one issuer to go first, because then that would likely mean that they become the winner in, in, in certain categories, at least, right. We've talked about this in the past. Um, now what, what gives you that sense? Is that sort of just instinct or is it more so that they've said it? We've heard rumblings from different people, from people involved in this process, people who know other people involved in this process. You kind of have to like, we have sources that are very reliable and some sources that we don't know how reliable they can be. But when you're hearing the similar things from a bunch of different people, like coming from different angles, which you've been hearing for over a year. And then we also saw the ETH Futures ETF, which they all got approval. And there was a, there was a lot of talk about the SECs trying to line them all up. And there was a lot of moves by different players, Valkyrie specifically, some other issuers were trying to jump the line and, uh, and get out first, which really smart, savvy plays from, from my point of view. But the SEC just basically did everything they possibly could to make sure everyone was going out on the same day and didn't let anyone do it. So the fact that they were willing to go to those lengths to make sure that not one person got a head start on everyone else um, shows to us that that's likely what they're going to do here with, with Spot if they indeed are going to approve like we expect. Okay, so just to then kind of bring in the ETH, uh, ETH funds that are are expected to come to market for a second. To what extent does 
the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF if if it were to happen Jan 8th. To what extent does that mean that an ETH ETF is almost just as much a certainty at some point? So I so I think it's more likely than not. Um, we haven't come out with an official. We're we're actually in the process of debating where we are on that. Um, that said, like it's a completely different animal, right? It's, it's it's you can see ways that Gensler could argue that it's not the same situation. You could say that they're not ready. You can argue that there's not. It's not as uh, the futures market isn't as uh, robust or institutionalized. I I don't disagree. I don't agree with those things. But you could see where the SEC could maybe like draw delineations, go to proof of stake versus proof of work, or make arguments that that's so. Basically, if the SEC really wants to stop this, they probably would have to either find a way to just like kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, which I don't know how they'll do that, or they'd have to basically claim this thing, uh, claim ETH as a security, which I've written notes and I got <laughs> lambasted for on, on Twitter, basically saying the SEC, in my view, has basically implicitly accepted Ethereum as a commodity, which is why I think we will see these things ultimately approved, more likely than not, by the end of May. That's like we have ARK and 21 shares for the Bitcoin ETF. Their first deadline is January 10th. We have ARK and 21 shares alongside Van Eck, whose deadline's for the ETH ETFs, their final deadline is going to be March 23rd, 24. I mean, May 23rd, May 24th. So I think we could see approvals then. There's no guarantee there. Um, but I do think, obviously, that it doesn't imply automatically that we get an approval. I do think it's 100% a positive sign if we get these BTC ETFs approved, that it's a very positive indication that we will likely see the ETH spots ETH approved. But it's not as, um, we're not at that 90% level, that's for sure. Yeah, because there's a bit more uh, a bit more questions hanging over the let's call it cat- categorization of of ETH at least from the vantage point of of the of the agency. Okay, so going back to what you said before, I want to unpack the the process here, right? How you became um, more, uh, how you sort of gained conviction in this approval uh, happening. What did change over the last six months um, that you know brought you to this ninety percent threshold? Um, we've talked about the arguments um, that the SEC has historically made. I'm pretty sure last time you came on the show, if not at least over the phone, right? There was, uh, to your point, the consideration of the size of the futures market, or rather, the size of the spot market, the size of the regulated spot market. Um, all being important, obviously the cross, uh, exchange, um, surveillance, this was something that you can correct me on the timing. I feel like came with one of the more recent waves of, of ETFs where, um, if you go back to the original ones, this was a missing component, um, that the SEC called out in, in their, some of their previous denials, which is that the exchanges are not sort of, um, you know, you know, not providing or present or sharing it with issuers this this data to potentially show harmful activity. Um, so th- there are a number of different moving parts um, that I'm assuming have improved, but you can kind of give us the breakdown, and then feel free to supplement if I if I happen to have missed anything. Yeah. So pretty much everything you said is is accurate, or at least very close to being 100% accurate. So like, obviously, when BlackRock filed, that was a key indication that like, they're the largest estimate in the world, they are not going to be doing this if they think there's like, 
like I, I said this last time I was on, right? Like the, they were, even if they thought it might not have been quite 50% or something like that, they have to think there's some significant odds of getting this through, right? The other side of this is the, the grayscale lawsuit that really tripped things up. Um, and that was one of the reasons why we were more bullish than everyone beforehand, because we were calling for grayscale to win that lawsuit when most other people were saying they weren't going to win, particularly those outside of the industry. Um, and then those surveillance sharing agreements you were talking about, um, ironically enough, there was there were some examples of surveillance sharing agreements in prior applications. The Winklevoss twins actually included one in one of their very first applications because they own Gemini, the, the exchange, and they were basically saying, we're going to use Gemini pricing and we're going to have a, a surveillance sharing agreement with Gemini's trading platform. But the main crux of that problem is like you can't just control the ETF, the custodian, the trading platform and then say like you're being surveilled. So that was a whole different issue on why they like that, that wouldn't get through today essentially. Um, but um, Coinbase obviously things have become just more institutionalized, but when BlackRock filed, one of the big things was they included that surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase. But honestly, in my view, the grayscale decision in the DC circuit court of appeals um, basically vacated the need even for a Coinbase surveillance sharing agreement. It basically says that like this, the, the surveillance sharing agreement with the CME Bitcoin futures markets, uh, which uh, is regulated by the CFTC and has a surveillance sharing agreement, um, is enough and should be enough for a spot ETF is, is basically the crux of the issue um, that came along with the, the Grayscale decision. So we have all those things that made us more and more confident. And then at the end of September, we saw a lot of delays. Like I talked about the, all those dates people are like, oh, that's it. They're going really early. But we were really like at the cusp of like going into a federal government shutdown um, and that people were trying to get things out the door. But after that, shortly after that, in the, the like, I think it was October 8th or 9th, we, we started hearing rumors that there was comments coming back on what's called the, the S1s or the prospectuses. So all these dates and things I'm usually talking about are via this 19B4 process, which is like, the exchanges and these issuers file for a rule change to like list something on their exchange. In this case, a spot Bitcoin ETF. And the SEC has to say, okay, we're going to allow this rule change so you can do this. The other, there's two things that need to happen for an ETF to be approved. In history, in the last decade plus, they never did anything besides delay, 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 and then deny in that 19B4 process. There was nothing else that ever happened. Nothing really ever happened with that S1 side of things. So that 19B4 process is with one division of the SEC called the Division of Trading Markets. The prospectus has to get signed off from another division called the Division of Corporate Finance. No spot Bitcoin filing has ever had any comments from the corporate division of corporate finance as far as we have been aware historically. So when we saw that, that was a huge pattern break for us, combined with the fact that the GBDC case and Grayscale case had, was confirmed by the DC circuit. It was just all these things. That's when we went to 90%. We were like, the, the, the SEC is not going to be coordinating and going over like the fine-tuned aspects of the risks of the trusts and the funds that are these ETFs. Um, how the structure is actually going to work. They wouldn't have gone to that level of detail if they weren't getting ready to really approve. And they went early in October. Like I said, they have till January 10th. So they've been ironing things out with these issuers since at least the, fir the first half of October. Um, so this is a process that's been ongoing for a long time. And then if we want to, we get into the weeds of like these comment periods. But there was, there was something that happened at the, the end of November that really gave me a lot of confidence um, and confirmed the, the narrowing window of when these approvals might happen. So when you talk about the narrowing window, are you talking about uh, narrowing from or, or rather you're talking about it more likely happening Jan 8th than, than another push? Could there be another yeah, as in, exactly. As in a denial on January 8th. Okay. Yeah. So basically, 
like I keep saying, there's all these deadlines, and the SEC always just goes delay, 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 deny. There's three, there's four deadlines. Three of them they can delay. The final one they have to give it in. Yes, they have to give it. Now order. they have to either deny or 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 approve on Jan eighth, and so. Okay. Well, so actually, no, Jan tenth. Jan tenth. So Jan tenth. So the reason that the thing, everything got narrowed down is basically we had a bunch of these ETFs that had their first deadline and one that had their second deadline. Global X had their second deadline. Hashdex and Franklin had their first come up in the middle of November delayed. The thing is at the second deadline, there's, there's this mandatory 35 day comment period, essentially that basically it's a process that's involved in like any sort of rulemaking or decisions basically allows the, the public to comment on it. And you, people, mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, well, who cares? They don't actually have to do this. But if you think about it, like if an agency was like, I'll had a specific time that they're supposed to allow the public to comment on it. And then they just like disregard it and skip it. Like it doing it in other circumstances would be an uproar. So they're always going to force that to happen. Right. What happened is Global X's comment period, which is mandatory, they can't do anything in that comment period, doesn't end until December 29th. What they did for the Hashdex and Franklin applications is their second deadline wasn't until January 1st. So then what happens is there's no way to overlap there and approve anything because December 29th is a Friday, January 1st is a Monday, but it's a holiday, so the, <laughs> nothing's open. Um, so basically, they weren't going to be able to prove all 12 at once or now 13. We had another person add Pando as <laughs> added their application recently, but essentially there was no way for them to approve all 12 at once. So if they were planning to deny or delay in this process, they wouldn't have done anything. But what they did is they went over a month early, issued those delay orders. So now we know that those comment periods on Hashdex and Franklin don't end till January 5th, right? So mm-hmm. after January 5th, they can do anything on all 12 at once. The only reason you would go early, like a month and month and change early on those decisions after having given a delay order, like just a week prior is because you're trying to line everyone up. So that's when we got confident and why we're able to narrow things down. Oh, the deadline is January 10th. Now it's like, okay, they're going to have to wait for January 5th to pass most likely. And then they're going to, they have a window of Monday, January 8th to Wednesday, January 10th, where theoretically, if we're right, they would approve. So obviously we're hoping we're right. But yeah, it's, it's real nitty gritty, like trying to find things out, looking at calendars, looking at all these dates and deadlines, but um, trying to read the tea leaves here. So let's let's focus in on Grayscale just for a second. Obviously, this was one of the bullish indicators or, or um, one of the indicators that you've been watching to, to see uh the chances of approval, their case has been going very well. Um, I think their defense team has done an excellent job sort of making the case for their upgrade. But walk me through what happens if if they're all approved. What, what becomes of this case and um, is it sort of ameliorated? What's what? Where do they go from there? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I would love to know. Um, but everyone seems to be silent on it. Uh, my thing was, we, we thought there was still a chance that we could see these approvals in um, 2023 until very recently, because as far there's two trains of thoughts on the Grayscale case, right? Either A, their disapproval order was thrown out, which means that their, their, their application, this 19 before application is still active, or technically they have to file a new application and apply again under this 19 before process, right? So there's no way to know how that's going to play out. My theory was like the SEC is going to have to do something within some sort of time period, but apparently this has never happened before. There's no guidelines to say when these things need to be approved or there needs to be a response. So nothing really has happened besides we've seen meetings with Grayscale and the SEC. Um, so my view is if if anyone's not going to go out on the first day or not going to be able to get the uh, the uh, 
like get the opportunity to uplist on the same day. It might be grayscale. That said, I don't like it's, it's not like it's never going to happen, right? It's like, okay, maybe some of these lists and, and go through right away and the SEC holds Grayscale back for something else or something relating to like officially registering the trust. Who, who knows exactly what they're going to do? It could have something to do with Reagan, but probably not. I think realistically the SEC should just let them go, but I could see them holding them back. But at the end of the day, uh, Baltunas actually, my, my, <laughs> my colleague and boss, kind of thinks that's, that's the more likely scenario. Um, that said they're going to convert at some point. They're going to uplist to an ETF. And at that point, um, that discount that everyone has been focused on in this space is going to go to zero as soon as it converts to an ETF and uplist to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, So yeah, I think that we could see them listing as an ETF as soon as everyone else does. Maybe there might be a gap of a few days or a couple weeks or something like that. But um, I I think all of these applications will eventually be approved is is our base case. Understood. So this is this is an interesting wrinkle in the entire ETF Bitcoin spot ETF story. That's that's fascinating. If you could just if you could just um you know speculate with me because I think it's an interesting question to um tackle. To what extent? Let's just just let's just put. I think you kind of have to lump BlackRock and Grayscale's fight together, but. If if we didn't have those two variables, do you think that the SEC? I mean, is the SEC under pressure because of those two variables to approve? Because they're just not; they don't have the um, the wherewithal to to fight those two forces in their let's call it likely um, desire to not see a fund like this come to market it almost ties their hand, right? Like even if they really, really didn't want to because of whatever reason, I don't know the thinking of the chair personally. Um, so I can't cast aspersions, but it seems like he, if he, if he could wave a magic wand, there'd be no Bitcoin ETF, but does the grayscale fight and the amount of ammo they put behind that fight as well as BlackRock is, is that sort of, is that is that why we're seeing a Bitcoin ETF? I th- yeah I th- I think they've the SEC has kind of been backed into a corner here by the the judges basically threw out every decision and reasoning they've used to deny ETFs in the past. Then you throw in the fact that a powerhouse like BlackRock is behind it. You throw in the fact that even though the court said it really wasn't necessary, now you have a an S, a surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase, which is a, a U.S. firm. Regu- not. The, we can debate what regulated means, but they're a U.S. You're, they're a publicly listed U.S. U.S. firm in exchange um, for for Bitcoin specifically, a custodian, you name it. Um, so all, for all those reasons, like I agree with everything you said, they've kind of backed them into a corner. So if the SEC is going to deny here, the it would be the SEC kind of going nuclear uh, in a way. But the one thing I would say is like it's not just Grayscale and BlackRock. Yes, Grayscale has been at this fight for a long time. Um, they wanted to launch an ETF back in 2015. Uh, and they couldn't, so they have this structure as it is. Uh, but you got to realize that other players like VanEck, uh, Bitwise, they've been dealing with the SEC and chipping away at their concerns um, for years, literal years. I mean, VanEck filed back in 2018 in partnership with a firm called SolidX. So, like, this has been a long time coming. It's not just like this has been kind of like the, in my view, the coup de grace, if you will. But like, there's been a lot of other um, little pokes and jabs that have gone on over the last 
five years to to really get us to this point where um, they're kind of forced and backed into a corner. And really, it comes down to the fact that like if if they had been reasonable um, recently, I don't think we would have even gotten to this. Like I don't think anyone would have been that upset if they had approved these things in 2021, um, for example, or 2022. But they, I feel like Genzo overplayed his hand, even though like the stuff they had been calling for, the reasons they gave for approving futures while denying spot, like there was a lot of lacking of logic. It was something I was writing in my research notes, something I was saying for over a year, and it all was borne out in that, in that Grayskull court case. Um, and I think, I think Gary, I think the SEC and, and Gensler knows that they were overplaying their hand a bit and they're kind of forced into a corner right now. Mm. Well, well said. So I, I think that kind of gives the full arc of, of this process and what, what we can sort of come out of, uh, our Christmas and new years, um, thinking about that, that those first few weeks, um, let's maybe think about some of the weird things that could happen after. And I'm keen to get your sense of your impression of how the wealth management industry might embrace these funds if you have that insight. But I guess just something that I've been really curious about um, on a technical side, and, and we can look at the Bitcoin funds, ETH funds. What, how have they thought about things like, I haven't looked into this. I'm just curious. Um, how have they looked into things like forking or, or the staking rewards? How have these issuers um, addressed maybe some of these weird technical things that, folks wouldn't have to deal with, um, in a commodity or, or stock index fund. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ETFs out there that have already dealt with this, right. Specifically in Europe and and other places. So, um, the, exactly how the SEC regulatory framework will handle them is kind of a different question potentially. Um, but a lot of these issuers, specifically somebody like 21 shares, Vanek operates in Europe, Wisdom Tree operates some in Europe. So they, they, they have processes in place to handle these things. Um, but exactly how they will handle or what the SEC will allow them to do is a different discussion. I've seen a lot of like, um, I will call it FUD, like some of the stuff, like uh, the language in these documents, those S1 documents I was talking about that are required to be looked at by the SEC before they get approved. So like I said, you need those two processes. You need 19 before approval and you need to sign off on those S1s. There's a lot of risks in there about those forks, these questions you're asking. And really like what those risk disclosures are is like describing the asset and explaining um, the risk of like what could happen. So theoretically, those risks are really saying we might choose the wrong fort theoretically, which could happen. Like if BlackRock back then decided that Bitcoin Cash was the the Bitcoin and that's what they decide to hold in their trust, like obviously that would be a huge error on their part. Um, but there's no saying that's what happened. Who knows what would happen to the actual um, Bitcoin if before it's split? Who, who knows? I don't know exactly how that will be handled. It could be spun off potentially, but I doubt it. Um, so it might go off as like a special dividend. So you would, they would sell it and give it off as a special dividend. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's going to be handled, but, um, they'll, they'll figure these people are smart. They'll figure out a way to handle it. Okay. Um, we had, we had Anthony Scaramucci come on the other day to talk. I about, listened to that episode actually. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have to get all, all of us into the studio at some point to hash some things out. Um, so he obviously talked about sort of the process behind how these funds are sold on Wall Street. Um, do you have a sense of the reception these funds are likely to have um, among 
some of the wealth management channels? Have you, do, do you have some of that color? Yeah. So we, obviously we've thought about it heavily. We've talked to advisors. The one thing I would say that about Scaramucci's interview was he was very skeptical. And one of the things like he, I had tweeted like recently about like Charlie Brown and Lucy pulling the football. And then I was listening to your podcast like a few days later and he mentioned the same thing. And it's like, that's what our 10% is looking like. That's why we are at 90 because he could go nuclear and just yank that football away. Right. As it lo- it's looking like they're going to approve despite all the actions they've done that have indicated to us that they're getting ready to approve. Um, so yeah, so what are these platforms? So you got to realize like one, a lot of these huge platforms, these wirehouses, these banks, these things that he was talking about specifically, like they don't just let these all, first of all, they're not going to let all 12 on, like he mentioned, but also they have a due diligence process. Some of them, like there needs to be like a three year track record before anyone can buy them. Otherwise you need to jump through all these hoops to buy these things for your clients. So it's not going to be necessarily this immediate ramp up where like every advisor is going to put like a couple of percent of their client portfolios in there. One, it's not going to be for all the client portfolios. And two, a lot of these people won't even be able to like buy these things initially. There's going to be a due diligence process before they're even allowed on the platform so that an advisor or a broker could even buy this for a client, right? So there's all this process. So I think part of the run-up that's happened now, in my view, is more of like what I thought was important. I think that's basically the SEC signaling that they're getting more comfortable with this. A little bit of regulatory clarity. I won't really call it full regulatory clarity, um, but sign off. And basically, it's going to be a bridge more between the traditional financial world. Clarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more than less. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be this bridge to this whole ecosystem. But I think that that bridge is something that's going to develop and strengthen over the longer term. I don't think immediately we're going to see like tons, tens of billions of dollars flow into this thing, right? I mean, you got to remember, if you look at the US crypto fund market, including the trust, we're over 30 billion, right? There, there's like 31, 32 billion, if you include the futures ETFs and the grayscale trusts and other trusts that hold these assets. So it's not like it's a nothing market. So one of the things I like to do is one, Galaxy did a great research paper looking at bottom up, like looking at the different players that I was talking about uh, and who will invest in them, right? And I, they came to 14 billion in a year. I think that's probably a little high. Um, I don't know how high, um, but I think I don't think that's completely ridiculous to see to see money coming in. The people who are going to buy this immediately are likely going to be more indiv- uh, independent RAAs or in- independent advisors. So like small shops with a couple of advisors or a one man shop doing stuff for for a group of people. Um, not necessarily these massive wirehouses are going to add it immediately. That said, if anyone can get it added quickly, um, it's likely to be BlackRock because they have a very good relationship with all of these types of platforms. Um, so. Yeah, they come to 14 billion. Um, if you look at, I like to, one way I like to do it is compare the US market to global markets. So in Canada, we have a thriving crypto ETF ecosystem. In Europe, you have it too. Um, and so you can kind of like try to triangulate like where the assets would be based on saying, because the US market is ex- is so big and so much bigger than these other markets, what percentage of the other markets makes up, do crypto ETFs make up? And roughly in the US, you would get to like, based on Canada, you would get to somewhere around 70 billion in AUM. Um, currently over, we have 33 over, over, um, if you just transplanted and you said, okay, these ETFs had been around for years, just like they have been in Canada. And you said they make up 1% of the assets in, um, in Canada, 1% of the assets in the U S would be 70. I think that's high because I think a bunch of the assets in Canada are actually would come here most likely. So once this launch happens, there'll be assets that come there. So uh, some of the money that will come into these things will not be like net new money into the um, exposure. It might be just transferring exposure, um, whether it be from grayscale products or private trusts 
or um, international ETFs and coming here. That, that's another element, right? Because the, if you look at the scope or size of the entire crypto asset management space, it's like, I don't know, like, I, I mean, a 20 billion of it is grayscale or 15 billion, whatever the number might be. To it's over on. 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, but so this analysis makes sense, right? You kind of subtract that. You figure that some of the funds are going to, sh- uh, you know, move from Canada to here, and that brings you to. Before I interrupted you, this this number of of ten billion that sounds yeah, and that and that might even be high for the first year. To be completely honest, like I said, I think a lot of people are going to like do a wait and see. I've talked to a lot of advisors who weren't looking at any of this until very recently. Um, so there's a big been a ramp up because they're starting to realize this might be happening. Um, but you got to realize also a lot of advisors like they are not interested because they can never keep this under their umbrella. So like most advisors are, they charge a fee for getting exposure to whatever they're offering you exposure to. So if it's 1% of AUM like this, all the, all of a sudden, like until now you could not really put this under your umbrella fee, right? Your fee umbrella. So like if you can do that, then it's more incentive for them to con- to take a good look at this. And a lot of them have clients who are doing this on their own. So they'll say, Oh, just give me that exposure. I'll get you the exposure and we'll, I'll manage all the assets. You don't have to do your own. So there's all these reasons why we think there, there will be interest, but um, I think the first year will be interesting. Obviously I think there'll be hype uh, on day one when it launches. So we'll see exactly what, what that looks like could be hundreds of millions um, would be my guess. But again, I, I think what it, it's more the implication of the SEC approving these things is bigger, which I think is what's been driving the place, not necessarily front running the flows, just, just what the implication means for this acceptance. And then um, obviously the flows over the long term. I think there, it, will, it will undoubtedly be um, some billions of dollars that flow into these products. There's a reason that all these, these largest asset managers in the world are trying to launch these things uh, and compete. Yeah, no, very, very well said. Okay, I guess last sort of, um, I guess sort of put a put a bow on the entire thing. If they all get approved in that window of Jan eighth to eleventh or tenth, sorry, when do they begin trading? Good question, Is Frank. That- that's another good question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic question. The answer is I don't know because um, it goes back to that whole process. So those approvals happen under that 19 before process, process number one. They also need process number two, which is the sign off on those S1s and prospectuses. So until we get that, they're not listing. But that said, we've seen a lot of amendments. We've seen a lot of updates. We've seen a lot of meetings between these issues and the SEC. So they're ironing out all those things in that S1 side of the equation. So theoretically, I don't know why they'd be rushing and having all these meetings. And I mean, this is a lot of manpower and lawyer lawyer hours and the lawyer SEC power. time. Yeah, that's that's going into getting these things done. And they're 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 rushing, obviously. So. Um, part of me thinks like it might, they might actually be get sign off as soon as they get 19 before sign off, they could get everyone lined up, but also if they're just not ready, they just don't sign off on the S ones yet. They just give the approval in 19 befores and no one can really list their fund until they get approval on the S one process, which could take days or weeks, or I, I don't think it'll take months based on what, how fast we're seeing things move right now, but there's no way to know. So theoretically you get approval Gen 8th. There's nothing saying you can't have something listing on like Gen 10th as long as the S1 is signed off for and everything on the back end is ready to go. Um, but also it would not surprise me to not see them list until like later in January at some point. Yeah. Or early Mar- February or something. Yeah. James, thanks so much for taking the time. Where can uh, people go and follow your stuff? Yeah. I mean, if, if you, if you have a boomer terminal, that's already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, Bloomberg Terminal, that's where we do most of our, our deep thoughts and thinking and writing. And then um, there's uh, we there's a lot of snippets that I, I give on Twitter, which is uh, J-S-E-Y-F-F. Um, so yeah, Bloomberg Intelligence, B-I, go on the terminal and then reach me on Twitter. LinkedIn, obviously, too, but I'm far more active and interactive on, on the Twitter side of things. Fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yep. Thanks for having me, Frank. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day. Mm-hmm.